0: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We are... Ladies and gentlemen. Fuck boys and girls, guys and gals, whatever. Uh, We are here tonight, Rich Duncan and I. Laurel is off for the night. She couldn't make it because I fucked up the schedule. Um, And uh, we're here talking to author J. Daniel Stone, who is... I'm going to fuck this up. um, Author of The Absence of Light, Blood Kiss* and most recently, Stations of Shadow, um, and also a short story collection I'll let him tell you about because I can't remember the name of it. Uh, Daniel, how are you?
1: Good. Thank you. I'm good. Thank you for having me. Uh, Okay, just to jump in, short story collection is Love Bites and Razor Lines, and then I was also part of the crazy I Can Taste the Blood group with those novellas. I'm sure you guys remember that. John, yeah. Josh, Eric, and Joe, way back in the day. Can you believe that was four years ago already? Oh, no, I oh. know, no. man.
0: <laughs> I can remember having that arc and being told to keep quiet about the fucking contents of oh. it. And <laughs> re-
1: Madder, Gray Matter told you to keep hush on
0: it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and so, so I was sitting <laughs> totally on a review serious. forever. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I go, fuck, I want to tell people about this book. That was a great book. But anyway... I I interrupt a lot. Go ahead.
1: <laughs> no, I'm just saying I could. Um, I'm just still shook about how it's already been four years and we've, you know, we wrote a follow up to it, the, the, the us four, the, and then we're just trying to get that out now, to be quite honest. But it should be out early 2021. I'm hoping. I think at uh, some point.
0: Yeah, I'm really super anxious for that one too. Yeah, um, we I'll wanted talk-
1: to, we we wanted to keep it like with the senses um but if some politics got in the way so it, once upon a time it was called i can hear the shadows which is an amazing follow up to the name i can taste the blood but some politics got in the way and now we're keeping it um to a title called midnight land and it has to do with john's um fiction uh, imaginary town that he invented f- uh for us to dabble in and share for this uh shared world novella or four novellas that you know, that we write when we do that.
0: That sounds awesome. This time it's four. So it's Josh, John, Daniel, and, um, Eric. Eric. Yeah. Eric's a fucking great writer too, man. It's criminal that that guy uh, isn't Stephen King right now. Let me
1: tell you, that's how (laughs) I feel when I read his stuff. I'm like so jealous and takes a lot for me to say I'm jealous, you know, about other writers. So, Every time, I, and he's literally, when you're with him, in, he lives close to me. So I used to see him a lot, but you know, with COVID and then he got a divorce and a lot of things got in the way. So, but before, like if you would just sit down and hang out with him at a bar, he is that person that you read in his stories. Like his prose, that manic, chaotic, perfectly put together, but psychotic at the same time prose is exactly who he is. He's so authentic, he's so real and he's a real new yorker like me so we like we get along on that level as well he's brooklyn raised i'm queen's raised and it just clicks like he's just really an amazing person besides being one of the most underrated indie authors right now in the field so yes i agree with you he's it's it's criminal that he's not like stephen king at this point
2: yeah yeah Yeah, I agree. Uh, And too, like you said, going back to the four years thing, like when you said that, like that's kind of how I was introduced to your work was uh, your story in one of Gray Matters first anthologies, uh, Dark Visions Two. Seven And seven
1: years ago.
2: Yeah, it feels like just yesterday, but then I was like thinking about it and I was like, wow, that was like right around the time that, you know, I started getting into like reviewing horror and stuff. And I was like, mm-hmm. I can't believe it's been that long.
1: Yeah, it just flies. I mean, I remember when I sold oh not to really like make everyone go crazy about time, but I remember summer 2009 was when I sold my first short story for twenty five dollars to a crappy online press you know but you think you're the man when you you know you think you're the man with the plan when that happens back in the day but it just boggles my mind that that was 11 years ago at this point like i've been not i mean i don't want to say professionally but because i don't really do writing professionally but you know i've been in this writing game at least 11 years minimum from my first sale way before that of course you know because it was it's always been a thing of mine since i can remember but officially, woof! I can't believe it's been 11 years now. It's just, it just drives me crazy.
0: That blows me it away too. too.
1: It goes way too fast.
0: It, yeah, it does. Um, I'm so, but at the same time, it goes too fast. But you can still, you know, you can still reach out and grab the things you want to grab too. I just made my first um, sale of my entire life, just a couple months right, ago. That's
1: right. I saw that. Congratulations! And it's never too. It's like that first one feels the best and then the next one's like it's just like a snowball effect when you get the next one it's like damn kind of like you know rubbing your own lapel oh I'm doing good now you know yeah. <laughs> you'll see you'll see as, as 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 you as you sell more and then you know you make some connections you get a readership and it just it's an amazing feeling I always tell everybody might not make a million dollars off of my writing but If one person contacts me and says, hey, I found your book, and I thought A, B, and C was great, and I really connected to it, and thank you for writing it or whatever, I mean, I just – I did my job, and it's the best feeling in the world.
0: And it is, too. Like you're sitting there like I I got a bottle of scotch and two blunts out of that book or that poem, (laughs) and I was very
1: happy with it. (laughs) Shit. I'll take the two blunts, not the scotch. I have to trade the scotch in for like – vodka you know kettle or whatever some there you vodka go like jagermeister but not a scotch not a scotch person but definitely take the two blunts for sure or break <laughs> it up and put it in my bubbler I got, i love my little bubbler that i smoke so oh yeah me too yeah that's my favorite one that gets me twisted
0: <laughs> <laughs> you guys are legal out there now aren't you or are you
1: no we're decriminalized we're not really okay. legal so, yeah. you could smoke weed on the street, but you can't be like, you can't be in a police officer's face saying, Yeah, man, I'm smoking my doobie. You know, it's not. <laughs> be like, they'd be like, Go fuck yourself and knock you over the head with a nightstick. So, yeah, <laughs> no shit. <laughs> so, but people have taken it to the next level, though. I, you know, since de Blasio decriminalized it in the boroughs, people have really taken it to the next level, though. But I will say, it's a lot chiller now that people are smoking weed. So I tell, I recommend everyone should be smoking weed, but don't drive while you do it or whatever. Yeah. That, that's the only thing I'm saying.
3: Yeah.
1: Take the subway, mm-hmm. take an Uber, but you know, get stoned, enjoy it.
0: And that's the thing about living in Portland. I don't even own a fucking car, man. I've...
1: Yeah, me, uh, me either. I live in Manhattan. I don't. I hate cars. Fuck it.
0: Yeah. Put me on I the don't... subway. That's me too. I'll take a train or a bus. Um, and they actually get you there as fast or faster in Portland. Yeah. So. <laughs> And, let them drive.
1: Yeah. Let them drive. A B you can, because you have time to kill, you can do 10 things that you never thought you would be able to do. Read more. For one, you yep. can listen to a podcast. You can uh, watch a, uh, a horror film you're trying or whatever kind of films you're trying to catch up on. That's the beauty of being taken places. That's what I tell everybody. They're like, you want to drive? I'm like, nope, I'll be driven. Yeah. Hell no. I got too many things I need to get done.
0: That's me too. I'll let somebody else handle that task, and they can also take the fucking liability with it too. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and that is the, that is probably fifty percent of the you know other reasons why. Yeah, you get into a car accident, boop, your problem.
0: Yep, bad problem. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Fun stuff, yeah. Um, knock on. I, I never have been in a car accident, and I will never be the driver in one for the rest of my life because I won't drive anymore. But.
1: Well, I don't wish one on you. I've been in <laughs> one personally in my whole life. It was a mi- ma- uh Sorry, not a major, a minor one, but it was during those times when it used to snow in New York. Now it don't snow here anymore. <laughs> no, but we got it. it was, yeah, you guys got it. you guys get it over there, but. It was a sliding, one of those slippery roads that you just can't, no matter how much you press the brakes, you're sliding, you're sliding to your doom. that was my car accident story. I was driving. I was probably 19 at that time. And then that was it. I was like, fuck this. I'm sick of driving.
0: Oh, yeah. But especially at that age, man, that's so fucking horrifying.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was very minor. Nobody was hurt. It was a bumper, like a, a fender bender, you know.
0: Yeah. But it was
1: one of those things. The scarier part was pressing the brake on the car. And you're not stopping. You just keep sliding. So,
0: um, yeah, that was the worst part. Panic-inducing.
1: Yep, yeah. yep, yep,
0: yep. Yeah, with we me, my, for, my only accident I've really been in, I was backing out of a parking spot with my learner's permit. Um, and just left a little nick on the side of this guy's van. But uh, it terrified me. Because of whose van it was, and I just fucking drove away and never told anybody because I was outside a biker bar and I'm a little oh. guy. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like, no, I think the best option for everybody here, I don't go to the morgue and he doesn't go to jail.
1: Yeah, yeah. Or, him, or him and his six buddies that come out because bikers travel in packs.
0: So. Exactly. <laughs>
1: you know, it's yeah, like, okay, no. I'm,
0: out, I'm out here drinking underage, I'm driving with only a learner's permit. And no other driver in the car. <laughs> and a bunch of bikers who are going to be really mad at me. <laughs>
1: yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't fuck with bikers. We have a lot of them here, believe it or not. Crazy.
0: Oh, yeah. Portland, too. Oh, I can only um, imagine.
1: I, as this country spreads out, I'm sure there's tons of them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But when I think of cultur- culturally rich cities, though, um, having grown up where I did... New York City is about the only other city in the country that I'd probably willfully move to.
1: Oh, well, you don't have, you don't have to ask me twice. You know I know, know and say and always say, you know, this is the best city in the world. I'll never leave it. I mean, I'm born here, raised here, and living here still. I love it here. It's great. There's nothing you can't find. Trust me when I say that. You can find anything here.
0: Um, yeah. Um, some of the and shit I've read, I'm not even going to talk about on here. This. <laughs> do, do you guys have um, a big drag scene in New York? I would assume yep. so. Huge, huge. Yeah. One of the
1: biggest. It's Chicago, New York, and L.A. that have the biggest.
0: Yeah, we have a pretty Queen good scenes. one here too, because of Walter Walter Cole. Um, Darcel. See, you guys don't know it here. He's here. They're famous. Yeah, I
1: was. I was just gonna (laughs) say, who are those people?
0: (laughs) We had no trans community at all, and then this guy named Walter Walter Cole started a bar, and as a joke one night, he put on a cabaret with him dressed as a woman, and um, became one of the most popular bars in Portland, and just massively grew our trans community and our um cross dressing community drag community you know, mm-hmm. and
1: yeah, it's a very niche culture mm-hmm. you know every city every city has its you know reigning kings and queens, and every city has its own performers who are who are known yeah um so it's not like you know, unless you got on, you know, there's like a TV show, RuPaul's Drag Race, There's a couple other shows that go on now. Unless you get on television, a lot of the a lot of the communities are kind of disconnected a little bit, but still interconnected. Like if you went, you know, you would still feel at home, at the same rate, you know, but just like you're not dropping household names, you know, mm-hmm. at, at the tip of mm-hmm. your tongue, but yeah. But that exactly. could be with anything. That's that's right here with us in the in the horror community. You know, yeah. uh, we know everybody, John Taff and Josh and all of them. But then there's twenty thousand other ones that we but we just don't know of yet.
0: Exactly. That are, that are mm-hmm. doing
1: great things. So same concept.
0: Yep. And then there's about six hundred trillion that aren't doing great things, but still giving it the old college try. <laughs> uh, uh, and you that's said all it saying. i did not <laughs> you said it
1: i didn't i got a lot to say about that but that could take seven hours yeah tell me about <laughs> it we don't got seven hours <laughs> but i can so, go on about it from day one of this writing game
0: obviously um yeah we can too man um i brought up the trend their sorry i keep doing that and i piss myself off every time um the drag community obviously because of stations of shadow
3: Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, it was. Uh, I lost my train. I thought I do that a lot. I apologize. That's okay. I started looking at the back of the book while I was talking to you, and my eyes go, "Oh, look, words." <laughs> 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 oh, but I found oh, the, I good, found the good dynamic. Old ADD. Good old ADD. Exactly, and that's exactly what it is. <laughs> yeah,
1: I have it too. Don't worry. Coffee solves it, and sometimes, you know, other illicit substances.
0: Yes. <laughs> um. So, it, yeah, I kind of got it back. Sort of. I can jump off with this. Um, the idea of these, um, two men drag queens. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. Um. With this kind of almost, I don't want to give too much away, I don't want to spoil too much, but almost kind of like a caddy duel going on between them. Uh-huh, the, uh-huh. That just, that whole concept just grabbed me right out the gate. I didn't need it to be horror. I didn't need it to be anything else but the story about that, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and it was like, oh, that's a great way to bring me in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because it's listen, so interesting. I mean, how many of us have grown up around you know, like with me, I've got mm-hmm. seven sisters. I know all about caddy duels, and oh, you don't yeah. want any fucking <laughs> thing to do with them. You know, uh-huh. <laughs> and, for sure.
1: And you <laughs> and you could fit that into any mold. A caddy duel could be anything. It could yep. be two baseball players competing against each other. It could be two. It, it could be two wrestlers. You know, going at it. Like to be honest, like on the DL like oh WWF has been like such a big influence in my life like a lot of those horrible acting skills that they brought to the stage you know and then they I don't know have you guys ever watched WWF back in the day
2: yeah probably oh, yeah. right yeah
3: so
1: there was all the wrestlers all caddy with each other everybody Hogan the Undertaker Ultimate Warrior they all were caddy to each other you know the Degeneration X, like that kind of stuff, like that always influenced me. And I brought some of that stuff kind of into my, the way I write, you know, a little bit, but just always reminded me of like Shawn Michaels at the microphone, you know, challenging, you know, who knows, Stone Cold to come down, like, come out here, you know, heckling <laughs> uh, them. That, that has always been a deep influence on me because I was a huge, huge wrestling fan when I was a kid. I mean, I was a gold, I was, it, WWF was my life, you know, and I was at the golden age for it. You know, I was like eight years old, nine years old, 10 years old when WrestleMania was like really popular in the early nineties, you know, or mid nineties. <sighs> now it disappeared, but, oh, uh, th- those are the times, yeah. but anyway, yeah. cattiness, that's, that's sort of influence on it on top of already being, you know, me, me being here and involved in with the gays here in New York, I mean, I definitely know about cattiness, you know, beyond <laughs> that.
0: Yeah. Um, it, and like you say, it can be anybody. I mean, that's a prime example, too. I, um, I worked with, I, you know, I'm not that guy who's going to say, oh, my friends are gay. Mm-hmm.
3: You know,
0: but I worked in the restaurant business for 20 years, you know, 15 years. And um, the vast majority of the males that I worked with were gay men. Yep, probably no. failed
1: actors or artists of some sort.
0: That's <laughs> trying to make basically. Ends. <laughs> it. ain't no different here. Yeah, it's yep, all same here. Um,
1: Everyone who had a Broadway uh, career here is now working at the local restaurant that, that just reopened, by the way. We just got out, we just got indoor dining now. So uh, some jobs have come back for them. But yeah, no, it's all full of actors and gay people.
0: Yeah. Yep. Same in every city, I guess. With me, mm-hmm. it, it, you know, it was full of actors, gay people and a writer.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> you always got to get the 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 shabby, shaggy writer in there somewhere.
0: There's
1: always got to be one. Exactly. <laughs> All my friends who are artists always don't get what I do. They're like, because I, I, I call myself an artist. I say, I'm an artist. And they go, you write books. And I'm like, that's an art, you know. Like no, like they're painters and they're this you know, actors and they're singers. But I feel like always feel like I'm the odd man out. So yeah, it's always like that's why when you say like there's like the one writer, I'm like, Yeah, that's how I always feel. Mm-hmm. Amongst the sea of ar- a sea of quote artists, unquote, and then there's the <laughs> author. Like we don't get the we don't get the artist title, which drives me crazy.
0: It does yeah. me too. Um, we give it to ourselves. I think pretty much all of us do. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a rare occasion to see somebody outside of us refer to us that way.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, can you imagine if I said you're a poet, right, Shane? So imagine if I said to a, one of my singing my friends who are singers, oh, my my artist friends, a poet. You yeah, but like poetry is not an art. You know that you know they just say it in that weird way. Mm-hmm. It's like the poets are in the ghettos of, of that of having that title you're like stuck in the black hole because even authors can get away with it because they write like full thick books with storylines right yeah with narratives poets are kind of you got one you know like one page of just your straight poem or however you want to write it um and people don't get it and that scares them and that's why you can't have that safe little title of artist but i'll give it to you because i get it (laughs) <laughs> that's all you need.
0: <laughs> and that's the thing, you know, is when you see how someone sits down and crafts their work, you realize that's what it is, you know. Everybody Literally. Everybody sees the, you know, writers especially as just, you know, sitting down and starting to type and the great American novel pops out, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but in reality, you're grinding, you're hustling, you're
1: Oh, it is so much more than, yeah,
0: than just sitting down at the typewriter. No. Yeah, and you're dragging yourself through an emotional ringer like you've mm-hmm. never been through before. Yeah. And, yeah, there's just so much behind it that gives anyone who picks up a pen the right to say that they're an artist, I think.
2: I
1: agree. I agree. And we have to get into the headspace of multiple different people like we're split personality for one novel. You know what I'm saying?
3: Exactly.
1: So mm-hmm. that in itself is an art form. How about creating a scene? That's the yeah. start there
0: exactly you know, everything <laughs> picking
1: um, artwork i mean i could just go on i can go on for an hour
0: about yeah that. well because that's the other part of it is the production you know mm-hmm. um, which that's one of the things about uh is it leath let um, lethe lethe okay so like the river Daniel Brom was on here last week, and he uh-huh. pronounced it three different fucking ways. So yeah, I was no, Daniel Brahm's an
3: interesting
1: character. <laughs> <laughs> I used to hang out with him back in the day. He's an interesting one. Does he still live he in is. Brooklyn? Where is he now?
0: I think he's in Brooklyn still. He's still in Brooklyn? Yeah, okay, yeah. yeah.
1: We used to always go to KGB together for a while. We had the Ellen Datlow reading series there.
0: Yeah, I remember that. Way really
1: back in the day. It's really, I don't know if it's a thing anymore. Obviously not with COVID, but even before COVID, it was like dwindling.
3: Yeah. But,
1: um, but yeah, like John Foster used to always be there from quite a few. We yeah, had a pretty good, we had a good New York crew, James Chambers, Jim Chambers. We had a quite a few good people.
0: I was always envious of that. You guys would always share pictures of those readings and it's like, oh, that would be so fucking cool to do that. Yeah,
1: it was really like the coolest thing. It was a total New York moment. It was like a punk rock moment, you know, a bunch of weirdo horror authors gathering in this uh, bar that's basically you have to go up the stairs like you're climbing Mount Everest because it's such an old tenement.
3: You, you, barely,
1: you barely can climb the stairs. There's like 80 of them, and you have to like hold on for dear life. There's no banister. One time I was there with Kathy Kohl, and I remember her going up the stairs, and she was like, "How the fuck am I supposed to get up these goddamn stairs?" And I was like, <laughs> dying laughing. <laughs> that's just she is. You know? and, yeah. uh, but anyway, so you get up the stairs, and this—it's a hole in the wall, best spot you could imagine. There's no lighting. It's just red glowing lights. A bar. And and, and one podium for you to stand by and read your fiction from. It's the most amazing space. It's a true New York City punk rock moment. And it was so good for quite a few years. And then, you know, shit happens. People either lose interest or people, you know, like get a divorce or people move. You know, I don't know. That's just how fucking life goes.
2: That is exactly (laughs) Did you um, did you uh, do any readings at those series, Daniel, or did you just, guys yeah. just like hang out there? What, no, what was that had, like?
1: We all um, – a little nerve-wracking, but not really. I mean, to be quite honest, the space is so dark when you're up there reading. You can't see anything but your paper that you're reading off of. So – and I wear glasses for distance, and even – and usually that means I can see like an owl at night. But in there, yeah. you can't see anything. It's so dark. So it's really I think that's what adds to the uh, to the ambiance and the moment while you're in there, uh, because no one really goes on their cell phone or anything. It's quite respectful. Everyone's there in the moment. So they like cut the world off and we're in this dark space for two hours. We drink a little. We read. We talk about fiction and then we go back to our respective lives. It's re- it's a really nice two hour break from everything. It was great.
2: Yeah, you know, it sounds
0: like would cool. be cool. Yeah, it does. Um, and it seems like that was like, it's hard, it's hard to believe it's, I, the last time I think I saw any of that was like just a few years ago, really, um, four years, five years. That's a few for me. I'm 55 years old. Trust mm-hmm. me.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, the, <laughs> the rate of people getting together now, forget about COVID Even before COVID it was getting less and less. I mean, yeah. either people got busier or people lost interest. I, you just really don't know.
0: People got yeah, a lot of it. Part of it, I think, is that a lot of people got apathetic for notable reasons.
1: Yeah, yeah, that, and that's natural. I mean, yeah. some people get, uh, especially people in our in our field, we get frustrated very easily. Like, oh, is anyone going to care about this? And then we have to always remind ourselves, the only one that matters is yourself because you're the one creating it, and then everything else is eventual and i just quoted stephen king and i hardly read stephen king but that's definitely a stephen <laughs> king book everything is eventual yep. so um yeah so i just truly believe in that so i always try to talk to other writers and artists whatever like first thing is you believe in it your work don't worry about the outside world yeah after you believe in it fully and your heart is in it and you are you know you are the king you are the god of your of your little tiny universe that you created after that, the rest will come. So just be, be okay with that. And sometimes, sometimes nothing amounts of it, but that's totally fine as well. As long as you know, you did your best and your work is solid within you. So, cause I think a lot of people who are in the creative field, you guys are many of people who are on your podcast are, who have been on your podcast are, a lot of us struggle with gaining a readership and or audience, whatever medium we, we, ha- we, we, we work in. So a lot of these artists base their worth on how many people read their stuff, how many people listen to their music, how many people buy their books. And I don't think we should we should be basing that worth on ourselves. You know, did 20 people buy my book this month? Did 50? Did anyone review it? I mean, Mm -mm. first and foremost, you should love it. And then worry about everything after. Uh, So, I mean, but this is personal for each artist. But I just try to always reach out to other creatives and say, you know, always love your work first and everything else will follow. Don't worry about if you sold 30 books this month. Just worry about that you did actually wrote a good fucking book. Well, yeah, that's going to be there forever. When you die, that's there forever. Not the sales, not the money, not the notoriety, not the fame. You're Your words are there forever.
0: Yep. yep. Mm-hmm. You achieved something. Um, it's like I don't even think about that. I don't even expect people to read my fucking work. So when somebody you know, messages me or says on Twitter, hey, I just read this poem and I really fucking loved it or whatever, mm-hmm. I'm like, first off, I'm fucking ecstatic somebody read it. Yep. You know, and then I'm ecstatic that they actually read it and dug it, you know, and it's like, yep. OK, well, there's the fucking payment right there. That is big payment. It just takes one. Like I said, we
1: just spoke about that exactly. earlier. Just one person. Yep. Just one person. I mean, I've had quite a few over my time now, but nothing in the large numbers. But, you know, handful, 10, 15 people that have reached out to me and were like, hey, I found your book, you know, in Barnes and Noble. Or, I found your book from a review site <clears throat> who, who read your book and I took a chance on it and it was really amazing. Blah, blah, blah. I mean, that's it. That's all it really takes. That yeah. is the biggest payoff for me.
0: Um, yeah, so. I think so with me too, I've had both money and, and that, uh, notice, I guess you'd call it. And that is much more the bigger, the bigger payment of those two things. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely. I mean, it might be a little different if you're lit trying to live off your writing, yeah. but that's so difficult to do these days. Most writers have day jobs. I know exactly. I got one. So I got one that's quite cushy. So I'm good there with, with money. And then I could do my uh, crazy stories at night when I can't sleep or when I'm pissed off at something, which I'm always angry about something. So, yeah, that's that's just the way it is for, uh, for us right now. For all of us creatives.
0: Yeah.
2: Mm. Um, go ahead, Rich. That's uh, I was just gonna say that's one thing that I've really enjoyed about uh your work that I've read. I still haven't read your first book, but I've read Blood Kiss and now Stations of Shadow. Is just kind of you could tell the love you have for art in general, not even just certain kinds of art, whether it be performance art or you know, mm-hmm. musician or, you know, in the case stations, the shadow, the drag performers,
1: uh-huh. just
2: your love of art. But it's not like one of those things where it's like, oh, this is a book, you know, praising art for art's sake. It's But you could see your love for those different forms come through in it. And that's one of the things that, you know, I really connected with um, with your books is just you could tell that you have a deep appreciation for creativity and all mm-hmm in all forms
1: yep you nailed it on the head It do- yeah. I, I, I always tell everybody so, I mean since I'm young like it, I don't care if you're creating you know, you know you're collecting matchbooks and then you're building you know stick figures out of them with the little matchsticks as long as there's creativity involved I am just weirdly oddly gravi- I gravitate towards it I don't know why I've always been that way and I, maybe it might be a little bit of my Aries nature where I like to I'm, – I'm a classic Aries. I prefer, or I try to at least, I lead the pack. I don't like to really follow. You know, I don't like to be a minion. I like to do my own thing. So creativity always gave me that freedom to, to be a leader versus being a follower. And I think that's why I always gravitate towards it. And that's why I always write about artists. But – Besides that, you know, besides having a love for all different weird forms of art, I'm I used to be before covid so inundated Mm -hmm. with all different types of art here being in New York, you know, so Mm
3: -hmm.
1: brook the the Brooklyn scene is out of control uh, with with the amount of different artists that are in there. And it's everything I remember I saw now just think about all the general types of art forms there are out there, painting, poetry. Prose writing, um, dance, you know, theater, immersive performance art. I mean, there's everything here. And then we have all the abstract, weird stuff. You know, there's people piercing themselves in places you can't even imagine just because they think, you know, they want to challenge pain on their body, pain nerves or whatever. There are people who sit on a stage. I I've been in the audience of a performance of a show called. Performance art where a woman sat on stage and ate an entire cake. And I mean a cake that was the size of probably seven footballs. It was the biggest and she just sat there and ate it piece by piece, piece by piece. And that was an artistic, you know, expression. And I just at first I was more like, This is stupid. But then as I let it settle and I let it get into my brain and, and take over my mind you really can see the the things that these artists want to bring attention to, whether she wanted to bring attention to obesity or whatever it may be. There are things that artists do on purpose, whether you see it overtly or not, that are very important. So, you know, as we say, art imitates life, light imitates art. Um, It's true no matter what our form it is, we're calling attention to something that needs attention. Um, I mean, specifically for me, I call attention to all the weirdos and all the freak kids that I grew up. You know, I was one of those, I was one of those, Mm -hmm. emo, Marilyn Manson, nine inch nails, people, you know, who were rejected, you know, for whatever reasons, they weren't the cool kids. They weren't going to prom. They weren't doing anything like that. So that's my call to action. I always, I'm defending those people. The hot topic people as what I like to call it. Um, plus the queers, obviously, because I'm obviously one of them. That just comes with the, you know, program.
0: Um, it but, should come with everybody's program.
1: <laughs> well, yeah. whatever. That's a whole other story.
0: Yeah. But um, yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. Uh, no, I was just going to say that everything you just said, um makes me understand exactly what it is about you and Kathy Koja and why you're such good mm-hmm. friends because you oh, just, yeah. I, some of the things you just said to us there, you said, she said almost verbatim too. And really? the same type of topic. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: So. Yeah, yeah. She's uh, we click on those things. I don't know what the hell it is. I definitely naturally have read her books before I even knew who she was. I mean, she was influencing me before, I knew her as a person, Um, but one random day I was on Facebook and she had posted she was going to be in New York and whatever. We used to have this really cool festival in Brooklyn called the Brooklyn Book Festival, and she was putting out a new book at that time. This was 10 years ago, and uh, she said, I'm going to be at this table. Come say hello if anyone's in New York, and there goes little old me like, hey, I'm going to be at that. I'm going to go to that table. Don't run away. And she was like, I don't run away from anybody or something like that. And I was thinking to myself, oof, this bitch is tough, even over the (laughs) internet. And then lo and behold, funniest story. This is how I knew that I had to like keep in touch with her like personally was what had happened was her publisher bought a table, then the publisher pulled the table out without notice. Even she showed up, no table was there. She was so nice to message back. Instead of just ghosting, she messaged back and said, hey, I don't have a table, but I'm still walking around if you want to come find me. And literally just that alone, I was like, oh, damn, that was really nice. And then we just met up and it was just bam. We clicked right after that. We we, we hung out for a couple hours, walked around Brooklyn and then just, you know, spoke, talked about, of course, art and all different forms. And the power of it. And we've been friends, friends or friendly, whatever, ever since. Um, yeah. And she's also obviously my favorite living author, probably. Um, and that's not even to say just because we're friends. She actually is fucking good. So <laughs>
0: it's, I mean, it's hard to that. sell that. But I understand that. I do. Cause our, our co-host, Laurel H- Hightower, is really fucking good, too. But every time I say that to somebody, I feel like they're thinking, yeah, you would say that.
1: <laughs> yeah no i get it there's there's always a little nepotism in the people you do business with and even when they're an artist of some sort um but yeah no i know it's a hard sell so whether people believe me or not i mean all they gotta do is pick up one of her books any book pick up one a random caddy koja title and i'm sure it'll do something to you most people when i tell them to pick up a koja book, they say, I couldn't finish it. I put it down after three pages. And I say, oh, you're lost. And that's it. And that's because she doesn't write, you know, to one's fantasy. She writes to her own – she beats to her own drum. So she's really unique in that way. And that's why she has a cult following on top of it.
0: I'm one. Yeah. Yeah, oh, same trust here. Me I am.
1: Trust me, me too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And I'm glad that they were able to re-release The Cypher for her, whatever, from Meerkat Press. That yeah. was really exciting. And people who never heard of the book now can indulge in the wickedness and the and the unforgiveness that is The Cypher, which is a crazy book. So um, I'm glad it's out.
0: A beautifully Here, crazy book. I love that book.
1: Yeah. It's really – it's something else. And each book she did back in the early 90s got – almost better than the next so it was like the cypher then there was bad brains and bad brains went on a whole new fucking level of stuff then there was skin which just dominated the first two and then there's a book that people kind of go uh about it's called strange angels i think that's her best book that she's ever written um but most people would be like meh with it but there are some this things in that book that I don't know how a human being could have thought to put that on paper. Sometimes I think that to myself. I really do. Um, But yeah, I mean, she's amazing. And she's another one of those like me, like she loves artists in all forms. It doesn't matter what kind of art it is, but she'll find something interesting about it and find ways to write about it that will keep a reader engaged. Certainly keeps me engaged and definitely – Makes me feel okay in writing in the genre I do, where I pretty much focus all of my own fiction around artists because they're the people that interest me. They always have since I'm a kid. I can remember that so clearly. Um, I never, I don't think I've ever written one story that has like, you know, a mom, a dad, and a kid and stuff because like that doesn't interest me in the, the, the o- enough to write about it. I guess because maybe I lead a different sort of life personally. Like, I don't have kids. I have a big family. who has They have tons of kids and stuff. But I don't personally. I'm not a father. I'm not writing about normal Joe Schmo things that a lot of um, other writers write about and get super famous with. But, <laughs> you know, and that always used to make me feel bad. Like, oh, fuck. Do I have to convert and sell out and write about a family going through something? And then I just go back to, you know. William S. Burroughs, Kathy Koja, and all these crazy writers. And I'm like, nah. Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to stick to my guns. I really just want to be my authentic self. I don't want to ever feel like I'm faking it. So I know who my authentic self is, and I really – I don't feel tempted anymore to try and sell out. Even though my husband constantly tells me, why don't you just write one Harry Potter book, and we'll never have to work again. And I'm like, it's not that easy. (laughs) Calm down. (laughs) yeah that's
0: you know that's when the money is briefly more important than the fans is when they say how does seven hundred thousand dollar advance sound to you
1: yeah well if someone came (laughs) to me and said that and said write me harry potter you know of this generation you know i'd be all for it you know if someone said to me write me the queer harry potter i could do it but that's not going to sell with seven hundred thousand dollars it's not going to bring an audience that mom and dads across the world are going to feel comfortable sending their kids to watch you know, they're not going want to want them to watch gay wizards and witches. Right. You know, yeah.
0: so. We're a lot more primeval than we like to think we are. Yeah. Primitive, rather.
1: Yep. <laughs> but that's fine. I mean, I don't mind being in the little niche crowd. I kind of think it makes people like me and people who I associate with, you know, more unique. Yeah. You know, we're not as, we're not as, we're not fitting the mold. So, and that scares people who are, you know, already molded by that mold. So, I kind of like that. I don't yeah. mind it
2: yeah and uh daniel um i i apologize in advance because i mash like a bunch of questions into one Mm -hmm. but uh like hearing you talk like when you were talking about kathy's books and when you hit uh bad brains like i could tell your excitement level like jumped a little bit and that was one of the books like i was going to ask you about because I, I saw a lot of that in blood kiss and uh-huh. also like your own spin on it, obviously, but I saw a lot of, you know, bad brains in that book and also stations of shadow. Oh, um, definitely. That was really cool. And um, also about when you said you kind of, you know, write for like the outsiders and stuff. One of the things that I love about your work is, you know, I've never, unfortunately I've never been to New York city. Um, I live in, you know the frozen tundra and like the on Lake Ontario but uh um, one thing that I think is cool is that you take a different approach on how you kind of explore New York City and I know Mm -hmm. that you know living there has been a big influence on you and I like that you go about it a different way that you focus on you know like outsider artists and groups that you know aren't represented as much in a lot of traditional fiction that's in New York City.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, like, like I, like I said before, those are my people. Those have always been my people. So I feel like I know them the best and I can represent them properly. Um, Mm
3: -hmm.
1: Not saying, not saying a, a writer who didn't know anything about artists could not use their tool, which is imagination and do it as well. Which is totally fine. I mean, there are women who write about gay men. There are gay men who write about straight women. You know, you use your imagination and context clues. You can do it. It's a talent. But there's also a fine line between having that talent and the imagine- imaginative, you know, ability to write about something you don't know much about. And then there's also when you really know about something and how you can how you can bring that to the table and make it feel real for someone who might not know much about it or might not. Um, be in that crowd and or someone who is in that crowd and saying finally somebody got it right finally you know here we are we're in this rad book about you know drag queens finally or we're in this rad book about a crazy painter you know and the poet you know so i mean that's just literally who i embody i mean i embody that day and night um and new york whether it, it's fully gentrified. I mean, you might notice, you know, if you read carefully between the lines, I always talk about how there's so much gentrification going on, but yeah. there's still, there's still the CD underground. It's still here. You can find it anywhere. It's, it's in Brooklyn. It's in parts of Queens where I grew up. It's in, it's in the Lower East Side still. It's still here. You just have to go looking for it. And when you find it, You expand on it and make it, you know, fictionalize it for fun for a fucking whole book. Why not? Why not be in a black hole for an entire book? I mean, Kathy did it. The whole fucking cypher is about a goddamn black hole. Exactly. Why not? Why not be in a black hole for a whole book? Me? I like more of like the uh, there used to be a lot of heavy metal bars here when I was about my early 20s. I would go to them a lot. And I, I like that atmosphere. So I'm always trying to put those seedy dive bars into into my fiction because that's where i feel most at home you know shooting pool drinking a fucking ipa and just shooting the shit with some weird ass people like bring on the weirdos they're the ones who make me think they're the ones who drive me crazy and i need that to to live so bring me there take me there give me all the fucking weirdos come home
0: (laughs) yeah Yeah. and that's you know the great thing about that is that um all of us fucking weirdos kind of you know stick together i mean we don't we don't judge each other we just accept each other because we're all fucking weirdos and (laughs) we know what it's like (laughs) yeah Yeah. but uh that's interesting you bring up that writing others thing i think about that a lot you know people who outside your experience and like you said in that black hole um it's like like Paul Tremblay. Most of his most of his protagonists are women.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and he's a and he's a man, right? Yeah. So we, yeah. it can be done. Yeah,
0: um, yeah. And he does it quite well. Yeah, um, but there there
1: could be a woman might be you know a woman might read it though and say ah oh, there's something missing. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. but it's passable, and we live in a world where passable is okay, so that's fine. And to be quite honest, we are. Like I like I stated before, we are authors and we should be able to use the tool of imagination and putting ourselves in the heads of all different types of people. And we should be able to embody them in our work, you know, properly without butchering it. You know, just don't butcher it, you know, do your best you can and don't butcher it. No harm in that. No harm, no foul.
0: Yeah, I think it was Gabino Iglesias in his uh, um, writing the other class that he does. Um, said, even even the characters who embody things you fucking hate, you have to respect.
1: Yep. Yep. Because yeah. it's the real world. Yeah. Otherwise, otherwise you're not living in the real world.
0: Exactly. You, yeah. Come
1: on, I mean, don't be a don't be a that don't be that dumbass. You know, it's <laughs> like I don't like it, so I don't want to see it.
0: Exactly. You know? Fuck
1: that. No, fuck that. That's 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 not real. You know. Um, so. Anyway. Go
0: ahead. No, that was pretty much just just <laughs> that observation. I think that, uh, you know, like you said, fuck that. That's not real. Um, I, prefer to, I prefer to write others in anything I write for the most part, especially in fiction. I don't even know how to write dudes. I've tried several times. Um, and, that's you know, interesting. Yeah. That
1: is interesting. But, but if you're, using, you're exercising your brain. You're exercising that. Yeah imagination, you know, that's our biggest, that's our best tool that we have as writers. And I think it also
0: is nurture too, you know, because I mean, I didn't have any male figures in my life growing up. I had all females, you know, that's
1: right. You said you had seven sisters or something.
0: Yeah. And the males in my life were um, you know, pretty much fucking lay about drunk ass abusers, you know, so they mm-hmm. weren't really influences, you know.
1: Mm-hmm. No, of course. Yeah, so you can get your head in the female headspace easily.
0: Yeah. yeah which just...
1: is totally valid. And that's to your power, actually. So if anyone ever questioned you, that's all you had to say. Yeah. And then they could, then they'd shut the fuck up. Exactly. Because <laughs> we live in a world where everyone likes to fucking complain and bitch and moan. But they but they ain't got a fucking spine to fucking hold them up. So,
0: uh, you see, you just let you just nailed that right on the fucking <laughs> yes. head, man. I'm, I'm a little tiny guy with a great big fucking mouth and you wouldn't believe how many people back right the fuck off of me when I start talking, you know, yeah, yep. <laughs> for that very reason that all, people have mouths but no spines
1: no fucking spines it's unbelievable it's right here it's in my face here it's everywhere it's on the internet sometimes i have to shut the fucking twitter down and stuff i'm like goodbye Taking a <laughs> me break. Too. i can't i can't deal with it because it's just they'll suck me into a black hole and get me arguing with them
0: hmm. Um, i do that like probably once a week i'll go two of you fuckers can get me a direct message the rest of you fuck off talk to you later yep <laughs> yep, yep
1: oh i've had a few of those in my day
0: oh.
1: <laughs> <laughs> At the end, sometimes you just have to just be like, you know what? It's it's just better to not answer.
0: Yeah. yep. Walk because
1: away. those morons sit there. It's like they do it for a living. It's like someone secretly paying them. Who can I troll today to get them all crazy and triggered?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, mm-hmm. so it's unbelievable.
0: What I get is like the like the the total fucking cowards who bop onto something in your timeline, say something totally fucking inane um and also <laughs> hateful and you know fucking either homophobic or misogynistic or racist or whatever the fuck and then block you yep before oh, you can that, respond that, well, to them
1: yep mm-hmm. <laughs> that used to be the big facebook thing but i've given up on facebook i mean it's just i can't stand facebook anymore like i'm on there like once yeah. a week maybe because it used to have those wars uh you know how long a facebook uh post mm-hmm. can be with all the comments <laughs>
3: yeah
1: oh my god let me tell you i remember the days you guys know bracken mcleod and all him right like yeah he used to have wars with people and oh uh, my god the new england people they're the ones who have the biggest wars. yeah
0: brian oh my god. brian Keane does yep
1: oh yeah oh he's another one i remember when he went on about how he hates the hwa at one point and then oh it was a big war <laughs>
0: Um, I remember that.
1: Yeah, I mean, just yeah, it's it's the the New England ones I remember from Facebook as well. I'm sure it happens everywhere in the country, but just as an example, Bracken was a huge one with all the wars, and then he was one day. I remember him being like, "Fuck this, I'm off Facebook." Yep. (laughs) I was like, I (laughs) I don't really blame you at this point because that's going to consume you.
0: I did the same thing. Every now and then, I'll go over there if I have something I want to brag about or I want to talk to one of my kids. I go over there.
1: Mm -hmm, Mhm.
0: Mhm. Otherwise, yeah, Facebook. Otherwise,
1: run. Facebook is
0: yeah.
1: Troll land. It's internet troll land. Everyone's so brave behind the key. I always say, you're so fucking brave behind the keyboard. Why don't you come find me? I'll give you my goddamn address. Meet me on the street. <laughs> say, it, say it right to my face in the street. Let's exactly. see what happens then. They, they would, they would uh, go run away screaming
0: exactly (laughs) um also you guys in case you haven't seen pictures of this gorgeous male he's got a body to back those words up yeah
1: (laughs) (laughs) i do have i am half gym rat half nerd so beware beware if if i'm not reading books or ripping into like you know crazy prose about you know people evolving into monsters i'm at the gym pumping iron because that's my other hobby so beware.
0: <laughs> it's like This isn't one of those people we were talking about with big mouths and no balls. <laughs> He's got both of them.
1: <laughs> and on top of it, I'm a fucking classic Aries. I must win. So don't worry. Come exactly. at me. I, exactly. my, my mother used to always say, this might be coming from Queens. I don't know. She always used to say, even if you get into a fight and you can't win, go down swinging. Because that means yeah. you won. So, my mom used to always say that, and I always, I truly believe in that to this day. Like, go down swinging even if you lose, because yeah. that means you're pretty much you win. Yeah. You didn't cower, you did your best,
0: so and you win. And it makes, and it also makes the other person at least fucking remember it instead of just that. Beat Without down a doubt, someone yeah. sometime.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. So, For is, sure, you know, the, yeah. I I know all the little guy excuses. I am one.
1: <laughs> when you say little guy, how tall are you then?
0: I'm kidding. I'm not that. I'm I'm only 5'8". Uh, oh, I'm 5'9". Yeah. So
1: I'm not that so, tall.
0: No, but I'm, I am weigh a buck 45 wet, so I'm not Oh, a, you are skinny. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm a small guy. So you
1: are small. 5'8", 145. Yeah. yeah. I'm 5'9", 165.
0: Yeah, I've got a huge fucking attitude to make up for it, though. <laughs> <laughs>
1: and a hell of a tolerance for weed right? Yeah exactly.
0: <laughs> Which is sad these days I remember when oh, I Oh it keeps c- you chill uh, But I remember when I could load a bowl in the morning And it would last me all day long too
1: Now it's like I need three in the morning
0: Oh god tell me about it And that's just a start Yep Literally. <laughs> Hey um So what you know, one of those things that my ADD brain does. um, We were talking, we were flashing back to some memories that we all have shared in one way or another. um, Just a minute ago, I don't remember what they were now, uh, but it made me, my mind automatically go, oh yeah, talk about flashbacks. So um, that's what I'm here to do is talk about how you developed the character Sebastian through. Mm. Um, through the use of flashbacks I mean it, mm-hmm. I don't think it's giving too much away to say that he has some really fucking dark ideas yeah. um, th- and thoughts and and it, that might not sell were it not for those flashbacks but the flashbacks make this character so real and so believable yeah. you, you see why the fuck he's thinking the things he's thinking and you know what I mean
1: yeah uh, th- that definitely – I knew going into the book for some reason that with him and his mental disorder, he would need he would need to be fleshed out through flashbacks. Um, and that's really something I haven't been introduced to in it with a lot of writers. I do know – I'm not saying it's the only book in the world that's having flashbacks, but I'm just saying in my world of fiction. So it was very hard for me to balance – moving the, the whole story forward while also going back in time. Um, it did confuse some people, some reviewers as well. But I mean, hey, you got to really focus on this book if you really want to understand it. But yeah, I mean, Sebastian is such a, he is so deeply hurt about things uh, that has happened in his life that it actually developed his mental state, you know, obviously could or may or may not change his, Outside, You know, the inside changes the outside, which is not a brand new concept. Many, many horror writers have done stuff like that. But this is my stab at it. And um, I will say to try not spoil too much, but, you know, Sebastian's backstory is very close to my own, you know, personal life. Um, this book almost is my own personal life is like weaved throughout it. I don't want to say it's autobiography, but it's definitely fictionalized for fun. But this was the first book that I finally said, let me use my own pain, my real, true pain, where where it really started from, and weave it throughout this book. And Sebastian was how that how he came about. His story is close to mine. Um, I can't say which parts are, which parts aren't. Would it not be right to, like, you know, if my family listened to this, they'd be like, oh, you put that in there. But, um, yeah, I mean, not that anyone in my family would read my books because, you know, Same here. I have an I have an interesting family. They're all very, go Trump. You know, they love Trump.
0: <laughs> so they don't – let's just put
1: it this way. They don't read, you know. So. <laughs> They're, all out, They're all, all out there. They're all, go Trump
0: and Daniels out there.
1: Fuck the pigs. Yeah. No, no, I'm actually not a fuck the pigs <laughs> person. Believe I'm it or not. I'm kidding.
0: I know. Um,
1: but – yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying, you know, like my older brother was yeah. asking, do you think the coronavirus is real? And I'm like, okay, conversation over.
0: Exactly. You
1: know. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, so Sebastian is really close to my heart. He's someone that you're going to see a lot more of. Um, I've already wrote written a few short stories outside of the book that he's that's involved awesome. in.
0: Um, and that's something too, before I, just before I forget, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but um. God damn it! I interrupted me. Go ahead. Mm.
1: <laughs> I think you were trying to say I have characters that come back from the dead, or something, or they they interwoven characters from other books into the, my books. I don't know. I, I think have that's no where you were going
0: for. It. If it comes yeah. back,
2: I'll jump on it. But. Well, okay. if you don't mind me cutting in, uh, cut in. I, w- I was going to ask you about that, so it's kind of funny that that's where you went um, about like the characters returning and stuff. Mm -hmm. Like I've noticed you've kind of had like interconnective tissue, like through some of your works. And I was just curious if that's something that you consciously do or if, um, you know, it's just kind of happenstance. Like, you know, you want to put the characters in there, but it's not necessarily because you're trying to build like a bigger universe or anything. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. No, I'm not trying to build a bigger universe. What, I think my only conscious effort is these people are my friends and I want to hang out with them again. So naturally I try to come up with ways that that I could bring them back, you know, with justice, not just forcing them in and making it awkward. Mm. So, I mean, with my first book, the absence of light came out so long ago at this time, you know, by this time I remember writing blood kiss and, you know, halfway through thinking, Hmm, this point, You know, in the book, I can really see character A, B and C from the absence of light, like getting into this, this darkness, this weird shit. And lo and behold, they came back. It was just really natural and organic. And I did the same thing with Stations of Shadow. All of a sudden, I'm like halfway through the book and I'm like, holy shit, these like entities are around and this is exactly what Dorian would be into or Delilah and all these people that I used to always hang out with who also are in short stories as well. If you read my short story collection, you'll find Blood Kiss characters and The Absence of Light characters all through that book, um, through the short stories. Um, But anyway, yeah, it's not to build a bigger... It's not really world building to bring these characters back. It's just I really miss them and I want to be with... I want to hang out with them. And that's like the nerdiest thing I could say right now. (laughs) The most (laughs) self-indulgent, nerdy shit right now as a writer to say, but... I really do. I sit down at the computer sometimes, or I look through scrapbooks that I have of notes. And uh, when I, you know, when I first started writing, I remember I wrote *The Absence of Light* by hand. I have the whole book written in hand by by longhand. So I just going back and feeling those feelings, I'm like, damn! I just want to be with them again because they put me in a happy place. They, those characters are all parts of me. Number one, and then they're all mixed with. My, my people as I call them, all the weirdos, all the artists, all the queers that I hang out with, all the, all the people that society looks down upon, they're all in there with those characters, the obsessors, the alcoholics, the drug addicts, the people who who, who lose their teeth because you know they, they don't have enough money to buy to go to the dentist, but it's only because they can't work a day job because they're too obsessed with their art. I mean it just goes on and on and on um, but yeah, I just want to be with these characters a lot. So that's why you see them pop up in in um, novel after novel after novel. Um, and I'm working on a new novel right now. I don't even know where I'm getting the strength to do it from. And I can already see points in the future of the book where Sebastian will be returning and, and, and Dorian and Delilah and everybody will be back. It's like one big happy family. Because think about it. All these books have – are related in the, in the term, in the sense that it's, uh, everyone's an artist. Everyone belongs to a small clique in New York city, uh, of an underappreciated craft. So you can only imagine these people definitely know each other of some, in some way might, maybe not personally, but once I get them in the books together, they're introduced and they become personal friends, but they definitely all belong in the same artistic circle, whether they're peripheral Or in the inner circle. They're all connected in some way, you know. So, and and they all appreciate each other's
0: art. Sorry. No, it's okay. Go ahead. No, I just, it was just an agreement with you. Basically, you're like, you know, because New York City is like this fucking macrocosm of communities. It's not a community. Mm -hmm. It's a macrocosm of communities. (laughs) Correct. And the art community is a microcosm within that macrocosm. Mm -hmm if that makes any sense it
1: makes perfect sense
0: um so it would make sense that they would gravitate towards each other at some point yeah. it makes yeah. it more real
1: Mhm. even if they're not like i said a lot of them are not personal friends but they become personal friends you know right by the end of the book you know or a book or the book whatever so um but either way they are connected in the fact that they all belong to the same art community and they and they're all the same maniacs on the inside so there's something that brings them all together in that respect alone. You, know, you don't have to be personal friends with someone to, to be in your peripheral circle, your social circle, but you definitely know who that person is. I got plenty of those. You know, I know, pe- I know tons of people by face, but I don't know their name. Yeah. Me you do. know, so that's how I really viewed these characters at first. But as my, as my books go on, I'm noticing, hmm. You know, this one would really be friends with this one, and this one definitely would hate this one. But they still, they still have to be in the same social circle. But they're not, so they're not gonna fuck that up too much, you know. So it's interesting. It's like how the real world works. It's really, it's quite real, you know. You have to deal with some people you hate, and you, but you don't want to. But it's to save face and to save your, uh, you know, social circles that you go around with and your business relationships, you know, etc. Because that's another thing. These people are artists. So they, of course, first and foremost want to some they want to exercise some emotion, you know, through their art, but they also need money. So they develop business relationships with one another as well. You know, Delilah from the Absence of Light is in a band. Well, your band has fans. Can I sell my paintings or sculptures or whatever at your, you know, and on and on. Same thing with these drag queens bring a different set of fans, you know, different kind of performance art. Can't you want to come and collaborate? You know, so it's that kind of thing as well, which is what literally I do here. Like I know tons of uh, people who draw, you know, sketching, and I'll write a short story, and they'll sketch something for me, and say, "Hey, p- compile this sketch with the, you know the next short story collection you do." And I have tons of sketches and stuff from uh, local artists that I believe I'm going to use with my next short story collection that I'm also trying to put together at this moment. Mm-hmm. So it's all about that collaboration getting that alchemy going a lot of yep. alchemy artists get together and we create napalm you know with through through each other so that's what i'm trying to definitely maybe consciously do by bringing characters mm-hmm. back but definitely not world building because i think that's more science yeah. fiction yeah, yeah
2: just, but yeah. It's, it's just real it's just interesting though like you said it's not world building in terms of like the concept of you know linking these books and you know, in terms of fiction, but I found it interesting that it was almost like quote unquote world building and that you kind of made it like real life and that all of these characters knew each other. That's kind of mm-hmm. cool.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, all my books are standalone. Like you could just read any of them and get it. Yeah. But you know, as the, as each book as each uh, title progressed, meaning starting for the first or the third now, you're going to meet characters on the other two. So stations of shadow has characters in blood kiss and the absence of light blood kiss has characters from the absence of light in it. And then the absence of light is my first baby. So of course there's no one else in there, but those characters,
3: mm-hmm. but you could
1: find more of them from the short stories that I wrote before the book in love bites and razor lines that I threw in there just for shits and giggles. So if people are, if people wonder like, do you do anything else with these characters? I'm like, yeah, check the short story collection. And then my new short story collection I'm trying to put together, of course, there's tons of stories that involve everybody in all three books. So, And that they all hit the fucking shit hits the fan in half of those short stories there. So there's a lot going on. And I don't know why. I just love being with them. They're my weirdos. And I love them.
0: Yeah, but that's great. That's the, one of the things I, that brought me back to what I was going to say earlier um, is that that shows you have a deep emotional connection with your characters mm-hmm. um and with your stories and the places in your stories um obviously i being a lifelong fortlander i know that those places are in your blood there's no way you don't know them like you know your own name yep um but with this book stations of shadow um since you did have so many more you know you're writing to your own personal emotions and your own pain Um, was it, uh, harder to write?
1: Yes, this was, this took me the longest to write, actually. Um, I actually started this book in May, 2017. I remember very clearly don't remember where the idea came from. Just, you know, one of those things I have a fascination for this type of art. Let's see where it goes. And then it took me up until, oh my god actually so may 2017 it i finished it the day october 18th or 20th 2018 i finished it and that was the same day the brand new halloween came out i thought that was a very cool moment you know for me because i love the halloween uh franchise uh so that's a good year and five months that took me to write it. and normally novels take about three to six months to write but this one took a very long time because I actually had to stop writing some scenes and like you know collect myself and say oh I can't go there right now. It reminds me too much of A, B, and C. So you got to stop and take some time away from it, and then you got to go back. You know. So, but and also this is actually my longest book. I don't. I've never written a book this long. Uh, the other books are about ninety thousand words. I think this one is somewhere up in one twenty. But I really didn't care about length by this point. I knew this book had to be lengthy, and it had to be a little bit extra and really, really, really malicious, almost in in the way the story is told, just in your face and you know, somewhat painful if you understand you know that type of pain. Um, so, and I didn't really care, and I knew the politics behind publishing was gonna get me. They were gonna get right under my skin and say too long, to this, to that, but. I really didn't care. I mean, I wrote this book exactly how I wanted it, from the first word to the last.
0: wrote it's until it until it was if, done? It's,
1: it's what it needed to be. what it needs to be. Say that again?
0: I said you wrote it until it was done.
1: I wrote it until it was done. And then, mm-hmm. you know, that's just – and it felt really good. I remember typing the last word, the last sentence of the book. I thought – you know, obviously because I understand the book probably the most out of anybody in the world – I just thought that last sentence in the book at the epilogue was just the perfect, like, kiss goodbye. And I was like, oh, this weight just was pulled out of my body. It was like an exorcism. I, I remember that feeling so well. It was like 3 o'clock in the morning, fucking wired on God knows what. And I'm like, okay, that's it. We're going to finish this bitch. And I got to work, put that last line on the paper, and I was on the, on the computer, and I was like, fuck. What do I do now? Like, Because I just had no – it took everything you could imagine out of me. I had nothing left when I finished the book. Nothing. Zero. No emotions, anything. It was like I was castrated emotionally. It was such a feeling. Uh, Now I'm re-energized thankfully now. But this is over a year later. So this is October 2018. I closed the book October 2018. I closed my laptop. I didn't look at the book for six months after that. Took about six months for me to breathe on it, and then I got it. I opened it up, I edited it, I updated some things, you know, from from 2017 and through 2017, 2018 that didn't exist. You know, there are some music references that were from 2019 alone. So I was like, you know, that goes to show that I was editing the book at the at the middle and the end of 2019. Blah 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 blah. But but that was about it. Yeah, I mean, this is a very heavy book. I mean, it takes a lot of focus to get through this book. So people beware you need to focus it's not an easy read
0: no and that's one of the things i love about the indie community though too is that um the vast majority of people who seek out the indie community for their reads aren't looking for easy reads
1: yeah yeah that's for sure that's me definitely me i'm like can i get give me the book that challenges me
0: let's do this thing Exactly. I got over Dick and Jane a long time ago and jumped right over RL Stein without even stopping. So.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> cool.
0: Actually, RL Stein wasn't a thing until I was an adult. So,
1: he was my he was my childhood hero. He was he sp- yes. I, I felt like he spoke for me because I was the spooky kid. That had no nothing to common with anybody. I mean, on the outside, when you're eight years old, you don't look that spooky. But on the inside, I felt very spooky. Mm-hmm. So I was like, "R.L. Stein is speaking for me." I remember seeing Egg Monsters from Mars, the cover. Yes. And I'm like, <laughs> "Damn, this is the most amazing <laughs> cover ever." I'm like eight years old. Um, what's the other one? The du- the one with the dummy on it. Uh, the Night of the
2: remember. Living Dummy.
1: Night of the Living Dummy, yep, <laughs> <laughs> which now reminds me of uh, The Doll Ate His Mother by Ramsey Campbell. Oh, yeah. But, um, you know, as an adult, that reminds me of that, which is a great book. I think that's his debut novel. I think, still think it's his best novel, except for Ancient Images, which is also an amazing novel. Um, um, but, um oh, go ahead. But, yeah, Arl but Stein is definitely my childhood hero. I mean, I read, I read some of the Goosebumps now as an adult, and I'm like – Wow, my reading, my taste has changed yeah. over the years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> I tried but one once, but yeah, you you, you really can't have get into it in as group. an adult. Yeah,
1: no.
0: you can't yeah. get into it as an adult. We're too jaded by this time. Yeah. But the memories, I would, you know what? Oh yeah, I love the covers. I was just gonna say, I know yeah. that guys like us would get along with him in person because his Twitter profile says, "I scare children for a living." Yes, <laughs> <Yeah>. I know, <laughs> literally.
1: Yeah. Literally. Like,
2: yeah, I I grew up on those books uh, like you Daniel and yeah, like they they pretty much built the foundation for, you know, the stuff I was into later and like you said, it mm-hmm. it just connected with a certain a certain type of person, like you said, like it spoke to me and I was always excited to read those um, and yeah, it, it was weird. I went back and read them as an adult and it just felt, it felt really strange. Like you could tell yeah. like these, these aren't meant for you anymore. No. Um, but when we spoke to Jessica Guest or I spoke to Jessica Guest a couple weeks ago, I told her, I was like, Tim Jacobus. I'm pretty sure that's the cover artist name. Those covers were great. I was like, if, if I can ever, you know, get another tattoo, I was like, I would love to have one of those.
1: Like Egg Monsters from Mars or whatever.
2: Ugh. Well, there's so many great ones.
1: I don't know why that one it just comes to my mind immediately. Egg monsters from Mars. I think that's my favorite cover, probably. Oh, and the one with the the Beast from the east. Oh my god, there's yeah. so many. <laughs> yeah. There's so many. Yeah, Night of the Living Dummy. I'm just going through some covers now and like getting like goosebumps. <laughs> Pun intended. <laughs> Pun intended at this point. Um yeah oh so many good covers Uh. what an amazing series yeah rl stein was definitely one of my heroes Mm -hmm. as a kid
0: the name of that one book makes me wonder uh if he was a judas priest fan or is which one which one beast in (laughs) the the east beast in the east yeah they have they have a live album the beast unleashed in the east
1: (laughs) oh the beast unleashed in the east i wouldn't be surprised if he was a a metalhead i mean (laughs) yeah
0: He's got to be. I how would think you, so.
1: How can you create a book called Egg Monsters from Mars? Right. I mean, that's uh, something uh, like Black Sabbath would have wrote about.
0: Exactly. <laughs> a total Aussie thing. Mm-hmm. And, and he's uh, sitting there listening to fucking Mozart or Brahms right now. I wouldn't want
1: to pass him either.
2: Uh, a, co- a cool thing about... Uh, you know, with uh, music, like I know music plays a lot of uh, a big part in a lot of your books, you know, whether it's the character or song titles you mention. But I had to ask you, you know, about one particular band, because I believe you used one of their song titles for your short story collection. Mm-hmm. and that's the Long Island band Glassjaw. And I was just yep. curious if you could kind of touch on. You know what they meant to you because it's i know you probably have a ton of you know favorite bands but it seems yeah. like that's one of the ones in the very very top especially since you know like i said the title of your short story collection yeah
1: yep yeah. well the first thing i had to do was make sure i could use the title you know and then i, re- I learned through the publisher that titles uh, are not copyrighted so I didn't feel like I was going to get sued or anything. Not that Love Bite sold millions of copies. That was the first thing. But the real thing behind it was I had enough stuff to put a short story collection together. And then, you know, I was talking to other authors and I was like, what do you guys do when you put short story collections together? Do you do interweaving themes? Do, you, do Is anything related? Or is it just all random shit that you put in together? And I got a lot of different answers. But one of the similar answer that got across the board was no matter what stories you put in your collection you're gonna and what order you put them in the table of contents you're gonna see that there is some similarity between each story whether it's a theme what your characters are doing and basically they were like that's how sometimes you can come up with title because i was actually not feeling confident about the titles of my books so i was like oh, i don't want it to be so corny blah blah, blah. So anyway, I was piecing together Love Bites and Razor Lines, the collection. I chose 13 stories. Um, Of course, it had to be 13 because I'm crazy. So I wanted the unlucky number, 13. Um, And so I got the 13 stories. I put them in the order I think I thought was best. And then as I was going through – because you know we have to reread our stories and make sure everything is edited and whatnot. And then as I'm going through them, I realized that there is so much – There was so much love and hate and desire and weirdness and sometimes murder, you know, within these stories. And for some reason, that Glassjaw title, Love Bites and Razor Lines, really just stuck with me. And I said, this book really is a love bite. And there is definitely could be some razor lines, you know, throughout these stories as well. So that's why I just really picked up the title and I was like, let me just call it that because... It really, really works for this book if you read each story, you know, if you read it from cover to cover. So that's pretty much how it came about. Probably sounds very anticlimactic, but it's definitely the truth in how the title came about. Not to mention Glassdoor is one of my favorite bands ever. Like, no <laughs> yeah. doubt about it.
0: I'll have to check them out. I had Rich mentioned them, I don't remember, after one other show we did, and I forgot to...
1: Well, I'll give you this warning. They're very loud. Uh, they, it's, it's, it's the original screamo-like kind of music. So um, I know Rich knows them. We've talked about yeah. the show before. But um, I personally like them a lot because they, they're in my, they were in my backyard. They're a little older than I am. I think they're about 10 years older than me. So when I was like young and going to their shows, I was still young, like 14 15 in Long Island because I lived in Queens. It was easy to access Long Island. And I just remember these guys like in their 20s, like killing it on stage with like killer lyrics. Like they're so pious in their music, which was, which was great to see because I think that was a big influence on me as well with like, once again, my love for artists, watching them go crazy on stage, so in love with their music and so in love with their fans and so in love to spit their poetry out to the world. Whether it's vile poetry, whether it's about killing your girlfriend, or whether it's about killing the guy that she's cheating on him with, or something like that, or how you broke my heart and now I'm never going to get over it, you know, because all that is mixed in Glassjaw's lyrics. And um, just the way they presented it to the audience was just like, you felt like you were involved in their pain. So that was definitely a a game changer for me, at least, to to step the level up to how much I love Glassjaw. So and they still to this day, one of my favorite bands, can't not deny it.
0: And you apply some of that philosophy even to your own work, really. I mean, in that oh,
1: for sure. Yeah,
0: you definitely managed to share that, mm-hmm. share that pain, you know, which in the end is the goal is to make us feel something.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's, um, I love books that make me feel something. Yeah. Like Kathy's books do that to me, whether they they get me angry or they get me. You know, like, oh, I'm so jealous that I didn't write this. You know, it's just anything. William Burroughs is another one that can get you like that. You just look at the words he puts in the paper, and you're like, how the fuck did he turn actual prose into a gun? Like, um, that's
0: what he
1: does. He takes his words and shoots them at you. It's yeah, he
0: does. And he surprises you at every turn.
1: Every turn. You um, just don't know what's going to happen next. It's amazing.
0: So... um. Do you have uh, you talked about the new book you're working on? You've got a couple new short story collections you're working on. hmm Um, anything else burning you want to talk about before I have to wrap? I got to make dinner for my other half soon.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, no, I mean I'm just I am just dealing with the coronavirus here, and the being trapped without anything to do here is mm-hmm. really getting the creative juices going. I got to be honest. So. I'm more fired up now than ever to get to work and to put my opinions on paper and to form them into you know, prose stories that people can read eventually one day. So that's um, what the new book is going towards, and that's why a new book it began. I remember the only reason why I even started a new book, I remember, was on nine this 9-11 that just passed. I was watching old videos of people, the buildings falling and people jumping out windows, and I got so upset that it just – for some reason, a book burst out of me, and I started building around the thought of fear behind, you know, I'm trapped in a building. Do I jump out the window, or do I just burn to death? Which one is it? So that what got me choice. really upset. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That got me really upset. Um, not to mention, I saw that from – that's my first day of high school. I could watch it from my high school window, the whole thing. Um, and, um, you know, I just – Another novel started bursting out of me. Now the novel has nothing to do with 9-11, of course, but it was just the emotion behind it that got right. me to work. Right. So mm-hmm. now I'm getting to work now. Now I'm so deeply invested in it that I, the book has to be done. First chapter, second chapter is already done. I'm ready on chapter three, yeah. working my way through what kind of crazy things I could come up with now. So, But anyway, yeah, that's about it. Life is very different now. Yes, Coronavirus has changed everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm getting a lot more reading done than I've ever gotten in my life done because there's not much to do here in New York, um, which is fine by me. I love reading and yep. yeah, no, just getting pedal to the metal. Can't really convene with other people like me now, like no artists, people can't get together right now. It's not really, it's frowned upon really to be hanging yeah. out. So,
0: mm-hmm.
1: <sighs> yeah, so just, uh, more just than working, frowned upon,
0: it. it's not legal. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> well i mean we it's legal here to see like you know whoever you want to but it's just frowned upon socially yeah
0: yeah um same but here yeah, that's about it same here but i've been fortunate that i'm like you and i've been able to turn all the pent-up emotions into creativity so
1: yeah
0: and that A keeps people like marks, us
1: alive that's yeah. our food mm, that is yeah. our food
2: yep yeah. it is and on that note rich do you have anything else to add no, just that uh, it was great hanging out with you, Daniel. Um, love the new book and eagerly you. awaiting your next one. Yeah, yeah. absolutely.
1: Uh, the next one won't be for a while. I'm going to take my sweet time with it. It's going to be another long one. Um, I'm noticing that now.
0: You'll have to listen to one of our TAF episodes where I explained what happens when you take too long. I think it might have been the first one. It, it, one was, one, it was it like, was really early. Real, sure.
2: yeah. I'm pretty okay. sure.
0: Yeah. Um, I'm joking. I would never try to hurt you because you could kill me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, thanks for being here, Daniel. Uh you love guys. your brother, and we'll have you anytime, man. It's great uh, talking to you. Thanks a lot. You. It
1: was a nice, nice speaking with you guys. Thanks for having me. This was very fun.
2: Yep. Have a good night, both of you. you. You too. Yep, have a good night, Daniel.
1: All right. Bye bye. <laughs>
0: Is somebody going to hang the fucking thing?